1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that either affects you directly, if you're a woman, or it affects you indirectly. Um, if you're a man, but um, for anyone who is in or wants to be in or plans to be in a relationship, this this one's for you. We're going to be talking about why do women panic when their biological clock ticks. Now, with dating and courtship and marriage being turned on its ear these days with um, all the match sites and, you know, if you don't get along with who you're with, you just go to your uh, cell phone and you, you can log on to one of these sites and you have somebody else who's, you know, with the with the grass being greener, or seeming that way at least, um, you have a, a new <laughs> instant boyfriend, instant girlfriend. It's uh, if not Mr. or Mrs. Right, it's Mr. or Mrs. Right now. And that, of course, I, I think not to the good, is turning relationships and the course of relationships upside down. And so since this is happening, uh, many women are finding themselves surprised by suddenly hearing their biological clock ticking very loudly. Here they've been clicking on this man and that man and going out and mostly being disappointed. (laughs) and um, thinking, you know, in a way, oh, well, this, this could go on forever, and then all of a sudden they realize that they're not getting any younger and that um, both biology and society are expecting them or have expected them by then to have a baby, at least one. Now, my um, guest today, Melanie Holmes, has written a book that has won an award um, in 2014, it won the Global Media Award, and it's called The Female Assumption, A Mother's Story, Freeing Women from the View that Motherhood is a Mandate. So, of course, you know, so many other issues uh, nowadays, not only is it a matter of do you want to have a child? Have you waited too long? And biologically, it's not possible to have a child, or perhaps socially, you haven't found uh, the person you'd like to build a nest with. Um, a lot of times, also these days, women are putting their career first. So that's even if they're in, even if they're married, that's often a reason why uh, they wait, and, and then suddenly find find, them, find it themselves having waited too long because. Um, because fertility decreases after a certain age. So there are all of these different issues, and um, the question is, do you, does a woman, does a couple, really need to have a baby in order to be fulfilled? And particularly, does a woman need to have a baby to be fulfilled? Because that's, from the time that she plays with dolls, that's what's expected of her. So um, when as you listen to today's show, you can um, think about whether the ticking clock means that you need to overcome your fear of intimacy and find a good man to settle down with and build a nest with, or whether it means that the time has come to find another path. So, Melanie, welcome to the show.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. I appreciate your introduction. And I... um... I, I really appreciate the, bringing this topic into your show today. It's, it's, there's a lot of women writing about it on blogs, newspaper articles, books. And so from a mother's perspective, I felt like I had something that was worthy of adding to the discussion.
2: Well, now, before we start talking about um, your findings and your research and your feelings and your experiences and all of that, Let's, I, I want to first say that you are a mother. <laughs> I want to tell my listeners that, um, you know, at first it might seem strange that a book about freeing women from motherhood comes from a mother of three. So let's start back with um, your growing up and the values that you learned while you were growing up and how that's changed over the years.
3: Sure. So I, I grew up in... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I grew up in the, the came of age in the 70s um, in a small town and the role models that I saw all around me were women who were married with kids and I I remember I don't I, I remember there was someone in the the neighborhood that didn't have kids and I remember thinking that was Unusual, just because it was unusual at the time. So it might have been uh, an aspect of small-town America. I don't know. If I'd I'd grown up in an urban area, if I would have seen more uh, examples or more role models of women without children. But it is something that's, that's carrying forward decade after decade. So I don't think it's just something that coming of age in the 70s and I know this because I I interviewed one woman who is you know quite a bit younger than me, and she hadn't considered that motherhood was not should not be on the table for her until she had a met a teacher who became a mentor in in college, and that teacher did not have kids, and it was just this this kind of dawning on her that oh, you mean I don't have to do that? So mm-hmm. so get, getting back to my own. You know the way my values were formed. I was raised in the Catholic Church, where you know birth control is not something that is. There's only a few forms of birth control that are "quote unquote" approved, and it's not much. Uh, which is the why the typical Catholic family was, you know, eight, nine, ten kids, and now you will find that it's. Much smaller, so people people are kind of ignoring that that uh, that restriction on birth control. But mm-hmm. so I, I grew up with you know Catholic values and and with role models of women with children, and that's there. There was never really a point in my life where I, I examined it. It was it was definitely a foregone conclusion. It was it was definitely something that I just thought. That there was no one stopping and thinking that they, you know, that maybe that's not for me. So mm-hmm. I do write about it in my book that my mom and I never had conversations about, you know, the heavy lifting of motherhood and and uh, you know she's a she's a product of uh, coming of age of, in the forties, getting married in nineteen fifty, so a nineteen fifties housewife and mother, and I. I just never had any conversations with her, and I, I guess I wanted to have this conversation with my daughter, so my older two are sons. Well, um, wait, wait, before we old. get to your daughter, so let's start okay. with your, um, so you did get married. How old were you when you got married? I was actually 18, uh-huh. <laughs> which is okay. not that uncommon. It sounds, it sounds really, really young by today's standards, but... I was not alone. I mean mm-hmm. there were I had classmates that were getting married in 18, 19 years old. Um, it was not that uncommon in 1980s. Right. It quickly started to shift during the 1980s, and I think that's as, as women were getting into college more and more and thinking about you know, delaying you know, marriage and, and pursuing you know advanced education in, in greater numbers than they ever had before mhm so um
2: so you had a ba- one you had one baby in your first marriage
3: I had right? two so I was two married babies. at eighteen, and we had talked about you know i'm I'm very young and you know that's we're not gonna have a child this soon, so we had the five year uh plan <laughs> and uh-huh. uh we did end up having two children, two sons, and uh after eight eight years of marriage our uh, marriage started to crumble and we were divorced um, not too long after that. So mm-hmm. the marriage did last actually almost, almost, let's see, nine years. But mm-hmm. So, so yes, yeah, so that threw me into single motherhood with two little, uh, two toddler boys and uh, I had actually graduated from high school when I was 16. It was back when they would let you graduate a year early if you had all your credits. So Mm -hmm. I did have a year of college under my belt, thank goodness. So I did have a a clerical secretarial certificate that enabled me to get my first job. Downtown Chicago, the U.S. EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. And so, you know, I was clerking and I was making, uh, I was able to, to earn a living, um, thankfully, but I was, I was definitely thrown into a, a very low income category once I re- was became a single mom.
2: Uh-huh. So I was
3: staying at home at the time. I was not working. I was caring for my two children uh, when the divorce happened. So I had to very quickly return to the workforce. Uh-huh. And, uh, so yeah, all, all. By the time I was 26, you know, <laughs> there, there was a lot, a lot that happened uh, by the time I felt, I felt kind of old at 26 <laughs> compared uh-huh. to a lot of the other women in, the work, in my workplace at the time. Okay. And then, then you, how old were you when you got remarried? So I remarried. Um, I met and remarried my husband three years later, my husband now of 20-plus years. And I was 29 when we went out almost 30 <laughs> I like to say 29, but I was- uh-huh. uh, a couple, couple few months before my 30th birthday. And uh, we, we had decided we were not going to have a child. And, and really, I, I, I chalk this up to the exhaustion that I had uh-huh. come through, you know, that period of time where it was just overwhelming. Caring for very, you know, very active toddlers, um, and, and and your husband holding your a full time job, and your,
2: your ex husband wasn't helping very much.
3: Well, I mean, he was in the picture, and he uh-huh. was he wanted he he picked them up every other weekend, and once during the week, um, for a couple of hours, and um, you know, there's that eighty twenty where I was doing mm-hmm. the 80% and he mm-hmm. was doing the 20 And 80% is, is a lot when you're on your own with two little boys. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. on top of a full-time job. So, yeah. you know, and then just trying to have a, a life, you know, outside of that with friends and, and then starting to, you know. I, I definitely met my, my second husband sooner than I expected. <laughs> I think I uh-huh. I, think I expected to... to uh, that to happen a little bit later, but there it was.
2: <laughs> <Fell in love. laughs> okay, and now, so he apparently had a daughter.
3: No, no, so what happened was um, when he and I met, I told him, you know, there's just no way I'm ever going to have the energy to have another child. I mean, I, I felt like I'd come through, you know, <laughs> felt, felt a little like I had PTSD. I mean, it was I was shell shocked. You know, it was uh-huh. my life had been turned upside down, and I was exhausted. And so I right. told him, "I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do that." And he married me, knowing that. So, okay. he accepted that he would never have a biological child of his own. Okay. You know, because he loved me, and so that's where uh-huh. it gets into that. Um, there's a term, "childless by circumstance." If we had never changed our mind, which we did, because we do have a daughter, um, if, if we had never changed our mind, he would be childless by circumstance. So that's uh-huh. where you get into some of these, these terms. There's so many terms that you can use for, uh-huh. for the uh, experience of not having children, and some people feel very strongly about one term versus the other. But yes, so time went by, years went by in our marriage, and I was able to reduce my work hours at my job to just a couple of days a week, and I looked at him, you know, he and I looked at each other and said, you know, because we, we would have the conversation now and again. It would come up, and I felt bad. There was a part of me that felt bad because I felt like this was something, you know, that I wanted us to have together, and... Um, when I was able to reallocate energy to mo- to mother a third child, we d- did d- make the decision to have a child together. And okay. She's daughter, she's our daughter. So. Okay. She just turned eighteen. I began writing this book when she was thirteen. So it's been a long journey. And.
2: um yeah. And you say that she was the inspiration. For your writing this book. So now we got to your daughter. <laughs> so tell us yeah. how that came about because she's only 18, so it's not as though she is facing, you know, the choice of motherhood yet or has to fi- face that yet. So, what about her um, inspired you to do this research and write this book?
3: Well, when you say that she hasn't reached the point where she would have to consider this topic, if we keep in mind the statistics, of pregnancy that 82% of pregnancies among teens are unexpected or unplanned pregnancies. So, yeah, it's, it's I wanted her to have I wanted to have conversations with her at a young enough age where she could think very carefully about her choices in her teen years when she was forming her ideas. So, as you were asking me you know how did i form my values mm-hmm. it was what i grew up with and and a lack of conversations about alternatives
2: yeah so i wanted to have i mean i i guess i was taking the um dating and safe sex and you know or whether she was going to or and religion and so on out of it and just thinking that she didn't have to make any i mean other than whether she's going to practice safe sex or not she didn't have to make any definitive decisions at such a young age. But then you got married at 18, so I guess I guess maybe you know I could see why you wanted to start talking about this earlier. So how? how so how? Oh, <laughs> well, this is an okay place for a uh, a uh, break. I hear the music. So we well, when we come back, <laughs> um, please tell us. Start with. Um, you know, how that conversation came up, why you thought it was necessary at that time. I mean, in what way were you talking to her about children and so on? Um, Sure. My guest is Melanie Holmes. Her book is called The Female Assumption, A Mother's Story, Freeing Women from the View that Motherhood is a Mandate. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: Hey, welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about why do women panic when their biological clock ticks? And my guest is Melanie Holmes. She's the author of the award winning book, The Female Assumption A Mother's Story, Freeing Women from the View That Motherhood is a Mandate. Okay, so Melanie, before the break, um, I was asking you, it, it had seemed, it just struck me as um, you said that your daughter was an inspiration for your researching and ultimately writing this book. And I'm just sort of curious why that why that inspiration occurred when she was only 13 years old. I think I was
3: observing a lot of things that we are all observing in our society, and that is that trend toward women choosing other paths, and then there are women who choose to become other mothers and, and maybe get into... Situations where they didn't expect it. I mean, I, I heard from a friend. You know, why didn't you tell me how how much this was going to involve? And I, I just sort of, you know, it was kind of humorous. She was she meant it in a humorous way, but it's preparing women, females, for what that path is going to look like. Myself, I didn't have those conversations with my own mom, and I think mm-hmm. I wanted to have conversations with my daughter about women's lives, women's history, the doors that are open or ajar for them, and uh-huh. so that she would, and double standards, and, you know, safe sex, and, uh, you know, all of that. I mean, my book is is takes into account women with children and women without. So not every woman panics when her biological clock, just to be clear, not every woman panics when her biological clock is winding down. So, definitely some do, and and definitely some don't. So I I always wanted to impart to my daughter the many paths that are open to females, but I didn't quite know how because you know when you talk to your children, a lot of time it sounds like wah wah wah. You know, so mm-hmm. I really it's such a big topic, and I would and. And it's also a scary topic for a mother to have with her child to say, well, you know, you don't have to be a mother, right? I mean, to say that to your daughter, it, you wonder how she's going to hear it and how she's going to perceive it. Is there going, and that was one of the reasons, the biggest reasons that I, I was scared to write the book was that anyone, but mostly my three kids, would have any inclination of regret for me There's no regret whatsoever. Uh So, without giving any kind of inkling of regret, I wanted to to impart to her that there are many paths open to females. Okay, so doors are open or ajar for them, and for her, I wanted her to not bulldoze into a decision based purely on her biological clock or what everyone else seems to be doing. I wanted her to know that being a woman, a person, is a journey that is unique in many ways. Even as we share many aspects of the human journey, we, we all have our own values and goals and experiences mm-hmm. and so much that you know, is under the surface that, that others cannot see. So, so you, you, so you interviewed, judgment, actually, you around interviewed around 200 that. women. About their... Interviewing how, how did and you go about that? Interviewing and polling is, is what I did. So uh-huh. uh, live, live interviews, phone interviews, uh, the polling was, you know, via, via email. Um, so that was talking with... I wanted to talk with live, with women without children. And those interviews, most of them lasted at least an hour, sometimes longer, because there was so much that these women wanted to, to say. They, there's confusion out there when women are told that they have to do this thing. So so you have someone who really isn't drawn to it. And they call this early articulators when they know from the time they're teens that they really don't want it. And they may have family members. In fact, one woman that I spoke with Um, you know, she had family members who kept saying, oh, you're going to have to do it or you're never going to find anyone to marry you because, you know, whoever you find is going to want to have a child. So there was a lot of badgering, I guess you'd say, and her mother took her aside because she was depressed. She was feeling depressed about it because she knew that she didn't want it, and her mother took her aside and said, look, you do whatever feels best for you. And that's where it gets into the mandate of the title of my book: is that when we make room for the future selves of our children, we are giving—it's a way of giving permission to to explore what's important to them. So there are many, many reasons why people, women and men, don't pursue parenthood. Now, my book is about womanhood because women have so long been had their voices suppressed and have had to fight so hard <laughs> for basic rights you know to vote and and uh, to work outside the so home so what or,
2: were some or, of the reasons why women the women who didn't who chose or who um i guess you you've you've written about different circumstances like women who chose to not have children women who um, weren't able to have children, and so on. What was, tell us some of the stories.
3: Sure. So let's start with Cheryl, who comes from Polish and African-American uh, background, and her African-American grandparents never went past the eighth grade. She said when she graduated with her master's degree, she was so proud for her family. And what she recognized was that kids underprivileged kids need great teachers. Now she's someone that had thought she would be assumed, had the assumption that she would be a mother someday, but as she was teaching and she got and she was getting into her twenties, her later twenties, she came upon the realization that she wanted to put her all of her passion into her job as an early childhood educator. And so she, in her words, she wants to be a hero for these kids. And so she's decided that this is where she's going to put her energy. I mean, we can talk about Oprah Winfrey. I mean, not everyone's building, you know, schools in Africa, but there's women who are putting their energy in all kinds of places. I could quote environmentalists. I could quote... Uh, women who have a passion for the arts. I mean, we have... But now, surely you came
2: across some women who didn't have children, not by choice, who didn't choose to not have children, um, right. who were who were unhappy, who were disappointed, by Absolutely. or maybe who did choose at one point and then they realized later on that was the wrong choice, but it was too late. Um, you know, not everyone who who didn't end up having children was
3: thrilled about it. Absolutely. And so so you have women without children through chance, circumstance or choice. And so uh-huh. what you're referring to are women who without kids through chance or circumstance uh-huh. or or biology. Uh-huh. So I will go ahead and quote Christine Erickson, who wrote The Mother Within, and she talks about not having children because she found herself in a marriage with an abusive man mm-hmm. and so got divorced, and then time went by, and her biological clock did run out. But, you know, she she talks about... Um, mothering as a way of caring. And really, I think a, a lot of times we do use the word mothering and we think about it as maternal instincts, mm-hmm. but really mothering is caring for other people. You know? And there's so many ways that we can care for other people. I mean, there's so many professions that, you know, the teacher, for example, or, or medical community, Psychiatry, you know. There's, honey.
2: Let me let me go back a minute. Did you have any siblings?
3: Yes, I'm the youngest of five.
2: And did you have, were any of them sisters?
3: Yes, two sisters.
2: And did they have children? Yes. And what do they think about your book?
3: <laughs> oh well, they're supportive. My family huh. understands the intention. Behind my book, uh-huh. and the intention is to amplify that discussion of women without mm-hmm. children, through choice or chance or circumstance, as whole beings. Mm-hmm. You know that, that that they don't have to be completed by a child. Mm-hmm. There's did definitely, you, did, as you, as you pointed out, there's definitely the women who wanted it, yearned for it, still still feel that sting, that grief, and are working through that grief. Uh, Jodi Day, the founder of Gateway Women in the U.K., uh, actually works with women in grief counseling and wrote a book, Living the Life Unexpected. And she mm-hmm. refers to, you know, such as with Christine Erickson, you find yourself, you know, you've, you're... Your years have gone by, your fertility years have ended, and you find yourself at this place where you didn't expect to be. And so Jody Day writes about it as not a wasteland, but actually a, a terrain to be explored. So, mm-hmm. it, it's Well, yeah, really there are. About, I mean,
2: we do have to say there is an. Inc- there has become an increase, and there's a problem, a greater problem with infertility. And, yes, there are a lot of women who are um, spending a ton of money, uh, some of which they don't have, and, and going through all these procedures um, to have a child. So, you know, there is that part of it, too. But you were saying before that you didn't have that conversation with your mother. Did What about your older sisters? Did you ever talk with them about... No. um <laughs> No. no.
3: I that's what I'm saying that uh, there's so many families, friends, coworkers, we all there's a, there's so many people that that just carry around this this assumption or this this thought that motherhood for every female is going to be a foregone conclusion that uh-huh. they're going to want it, that they're going to be able to achieve it. And so, that- so for your sisters and your mother, there was, really nothing, there was really nothing to talk about,
2: yes. It was just assumed, yes, okay. Now, what, yeah. tell me, what's, what's really interesting, tell me about your daughter and what, as you've been, you did your research and so on, um, and then you started writing the book, what has been her reaction over these years from 13 to 18 about what you've, what you've been writing
3: about? Well, I think, well, I didn't let her read the book, until I was ready to publish it, so at that uh-huh. time she was 16, just coming up to 17, and I wanted I wanted all three of my kids to read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was in the Navy at the time, and I couldn't get it to him. But you know, I wanted to sit with my daughter in particular, so we went to coffee dates several times, and she'd re- she'd she'd read it, and you know, if there was any questions, we'd talk. That was when she looked at me and she said, you got married at 18? (laughs) i remember that one. I thought, oh, dear, Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Cat's out of the bag. Anyway, um, her reactions has, it's it's evolved, I would say. I mean, I think it was understanding the intention. All three of my kids, I wanted to make sure that they understood the intention, that it was a a way of explaining of diversity of thought and acceptance of women's lives in all its different forms, in all their different journeys and paths, and and thinking about the way that we talk about women's lives. So that is something that I like to debunk. Is some of those things that we women who with kids will say with love and emotion in their hearts and their voices. They say, I never knew love until I had a child, or my life was meaningless until I had a child. Mm -hmm. And so when we say those things, we have to be careful who's listening. If it's this 13-year-old, 14-year-old, or even a 35-year-old who's Mm -hmm. looking at the end of her fertility years, it can have quite an impact. And do we really believe that women... Without children. Yes. Lives so what? Are meaningless.
1: So, so no, no, no. What, does your,
3: what does your daughter say uh, now? What no, is her I current. Just asked you a question. Do wait, we wait, really wait. believe that women's <clears throat> lives who, who don't have kids are meaningless? Do I believe that? Yeah.
2: Well, um, I'm not going to say that they're meaningless, but I will say, uh, and certainly, of course, for women who have certain biological, um, you know, reasons why they're not fertile or, um, you know, there can be um, situational uh, things for why, you know, like you mentioned, the woman whose husband was abusive, but on the whole, um, it certainly does add a a whole dimension to a woman's life to have a child. I'm not going to say that a woman isn't able to love unless or until she has a child, but Um, but it is sad for those women. I I believe it is very sad for those women who, by circumstance or by chance or by biology or whatever, um, aren't able to. And a lot of times, I mean, as a psychiatrist, um, a lot of times when a woman says that, um, that's a red flag, quite frankly, and I need to look into... Um, what is making this woman say that? Did, was she abused by her father? Did she have other early experiences with men that, that scared her? Um, did she have a bad relationship with her own mother? That's, that's a big one. Um, you know, you mean the often... women who
3: say they're sad because they can't have a child?
2: No, women who, women who say that they don't want to have a child. Oftentimes, the problem, you know, they ha- they have had a problem with their mother. They have had a relationship with their mother that wasn't very satisfying, and and the whole or their mother wasn't a good mother. And, um, and this is the where whole con- women
3: have been writing books, tons and tons of books, because they're tired of being thought of as dysfunctional. Now <laughs> we all have things in our past. Ha- that I know we not going to agree on problematic, this. So we might as well win it out right now. Yes, or not mothers, but you know there are plenty of women, and this is why they're writing these books to say, "Look, I'm tired of being thought of as dysfunctional." Uh, there's women who have passions, whether it's Jennifer Aniston with her passion for acting, or Catherine Hepburn, or or Oprah Winfrey with her passion for what she's doing. Do you think, when we? Describing but someone as in such as there, Oprah Winfrey uh, as dysfunctional is unfair. So no, wait, I can see wait, where you're coming from because you're asking wait, the question. <laughs> but we're asking wait, why. Can you hear me? Why don't you don't, want to can, instead of why do you Can, can you hear me?
2: Yeah. I'm trying to get a word in edgewise here. Um, Oprah Winfrey, a wonderful woman. I've been on her show many times. Um she did have a. There is a reason why she didn't end up having children, which was that she was impregnated, she was raped at a young yes, age. I do know. And that. um, that's the kind of thing, that's an example of the kind of thing that many women who choose, so to speak, um, to not have children have in their background. There is some kind of a, um, a bad experience. Some, As I was saying, like either being sexually abused by some man or having a, a bad relationship with their mother, a cold relationship with their mother, a mother who wasn't a good mother, there is something in their background. Um, Jennifer Aniston, I think that the the main issue with her was that, um, you know, the being betrayed by Brad Pitt and that whole thing that I think if she would have stayed married to Brad Pitt and uh, Angelina Jolie hadn't stolen him away that they might well have had children. It is likely that they would have had children. So that's what I'm trying to say, that it's not just that people wake up or as a child think to themselves, um, I'm going to, and if they do, you know, you have to at least look into their background to see whether there's something that's gotten in the way of their um, making them, guiding them towards that choice.
3: And so if a woman feels that it's problematic, that she doesn't have a child, I suppose she might seek some counseling. But so oftentimes people will ask why why doesn't why don't you have a child when it's really no one's you know, it becomes a, a topic of conversation at the dinner table or at the the restaurant or in right. at, in in the workplace. So yes. it's not always yes. something that very, a woman that can wants to be very and like, That can be oh,
2: very oh. embarrassing. Yes. Well we need to take another break. Um we're talking today about women panicking when their biological clock is ticking. Um, uh, Melanie Holmes, my guest, however, <laughs> is, uh, it, it, she's the author of the book, The Female Assumption, A Mother's Story, Freeing Women from the View that Motherhood is a Mandate. And as she was mentioning earlier, not, uh, she doesn't believe that all women panic when their biological clock ticks. So we'll have more of this. Obviously, Melanie and I don't agree on a lot of these things, so we'll have more of this when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Melanie Holmes, and her award-winning book, The Female Assumption, A Mother's Story, Freeing Women from the View that Motherhood is a Mandate. Um, You know, Melanie, let me tell you the story of um, a woman, a patient of mine. Obviously, I'm not going to give any super-identifying information but um, this was a woman who was my patient for quite a while, and she was dating, and um, she her you know dating life didn't really wasn't all that successful um, until she was much older, and um, she finally met a man and and fell in love and um, they got married, and um, they were married for a few years, and she was already fifty years old. Fifty years old and she hadn't had a baby and she wanted it she had always wanted a baby it wasn't a question of that but it was more a question of you know not finding mr Wright in time to have one and then Mm -hmm. you know when they did get married it um it just didn't happen that quickly so um anyway uh you know that she was very depressed and um, they talked about adoption they tried that to go that way and that you know there was long waits and there were various problems and then um, and they had tried to go actually the fertility route and that didn't work after a few different tries that wasn't working and so finally um, i had suggested um, that they go the surrogate route and that's what they did they um uh used the man's sperm and um, the egg and the womb, well, the, wait, the egg of another woman. And actually, they put it into my patient's womb. And she carried a baby for nine months. And, um, you know, it was, yes, it was another woman's um, egg, but she, ca- she had the, the, she enjoyed the pregnancy, and she had the baby. And lo and behold, you know, she, she has this cute little, girl um and they are both thrilled to be parents so i'm just trying to present the other side of that that um now here was someone who wasn't a matter of of choice you know and she would have been her life wouldn't have been when i think about the the richness that this little girl has brought to their life i mean it it, her life wouldn't have been as rich
3: without it absolutely i'm not saying in a different way though Rich in a what? different way. I mean, if you if you think about psychologist Abraham Maslow who conducted interviews and found thousands of descriptions of peak experiences, definitely parents describe having their kids as a peak experience. But Abraham Maslow found thousands of other descriptions of peak experiences awe inspiring you know, ego-transcending, moments that confirm your existence, love and meaning. And I think that's where we get into, and I don't pick a side, obviously I don't advocate for or against motherhood, and I think that was the point, you know, when you asked me way back what did my daughter think, I wanted to make sure that my daughter didn't feel that she was expected to have children, that this wasn't a foregone conclusion, that it was something she could think very carefully about, so peak experiences and what brings meaning to someone's life or fulfillment is subjective, and, it, and a child isn't always going to fill that need. Now, there's a great, you know, segment of the population that want children and cannot have them,
1: and Karen is actually let me just, one let me, of those
3: women, l- and let me she just, started the Not mom. Uh, I, let me let me Website. just ask you, Melanie. Okay. Can you hear me now? Um, Yeah, I was son, trying to make a point, can, but go ahead.
2: Can, can your sons? They're they're young adults now, right? Yes. So, are they married yet? One is. And are is he? Are they planning on having a child? They do. They do have a child. They do. Okay. Um. I mean, here's the, the question, the, sort of the elephant in the room. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Uh, and I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable, but it's sort of like a no-brainer for a psychiatrist. Um, you know, you talked at the beginning about your own experiences and how hard it was being a single mom um, with two toddler boys and, and working and so on, which, of course, I can totally get. But um, do you think consciously or unconsciously that, and to the point where you weren't going to have a child with your second husband, um, but then you did. But um, do you think maybe those early experiences that were so hard, and you talked about being so exhausted and all that, do you think maybe that is what is at least part of the motivation? For you writing a book, um, letting women off the hook or helping women to find other paths um, so that they don't have to go through that kind of a hard time like you did? To, ex-
3: to at least know that it's a possibility. That, okay. that is definitely part of That is definitely the motivation is to share my experiences. I mean, I think that's why writers write what they write because they have a message. Right. My message was... Yes, we talk about motherhood in in very wonderful ways, and we have Mother's Day and we love our mothers and we revere our mothers. But I just wanted to share my experience because my experience is, is not, you know, it's not unique. It, it is definitely something mm-hmm. that other women have shared my, my same uh, path where they they have expected motherhood to look a certain way. And it doesn't always turn out to be the primrose path to, you know, happiness. I think mm-hmm. that's part of the message. Okay. I didn't choose a side when I wrote this book. This book was very definitely about bringing women together. And if I can get back to the what Karen Malone Wright was is doing with the Not Mom group, mm-hmm. she's bringing women who, without children through circumstance, chance, or choice together for this. They had the first um, Not Mon's Summit last October. Women came from China, Canada, um, huh. Iceland, and all over the United States, the United Kingdom, uh, to, talk, to come together about commonalities that they have and to kind of bridge that gap. And that's where I think my intention my, definitely my intention is to bring women together so that we can... There's always two camps on any topic. Have you noticed that? There's, there's mothers, there's, and then there's mothers who are working out of the home and mothers who are staying at home with their kids, not work, you know, earning a paycheck, mm-hmm. um, and there's those two camps. So there's, there's, there's a lot of divisiveness among women. Mm-hmm. So this was my attempt to say, you know, we are all women, and I hope... That we can not think of each other as selfish or shallow or dysfunctional. Just you know, we we tend as a society to view women through the lens of motherhood, and, yes, and it can I, I be hurtful in some instances.
2: Yes, and there are other ways that you one can that a woman can fulfill that mothering instinct other than having Definitely. a natural baby. Um, Definitely. You know, I, yes, I I I agree with that. The only reason why I was talking about how you know, there are red flags if a woman is saying, especially the younger she is, um, if a woman is saying that she doesn't want to have a baby, is because is not to like judge her or or you know, say you're narcissistic, That's what, although there are some people who, that, who fit that, but, but it's not to, to say that, it's to try to help the person to understand what factors might have gone on in their life that made them feel that way, and if those things can be overcome, um, or the woman can see, get insight into what's making her feel that way, and kind of realize that, that it's because of these things, and really she would like to be a mother, um, then that's very helpful. Well, let me ask
3: you: When when you're meeting with women, do you ever ask why
2: do you want to be a mother? Why do you want to be a mother?
3: Yeah, because um, we're asking why not when they don't right. want motherhood. Do we ever stop and ask why? Well, you're, why do you you're want right that? that
2: that you know there is a tendency to not te- to not ask that as much, except for. Um, like in instances i do ask when for example i think that a woman is wanting to have a baby to try to make a man marry her or keep hold a marriage together or a relationship together those kinds of things happen too
3: sure so there's a lot of reasons why people have children and and maybe they you know maybe they can pause for a moment and say and ask themselves why yes. why are we going down this why are we going to embark on this journey, so to speak? Yes. So I do know of a woman who, one of the women I interviewed, I, I called her Kathy, and she she knew from the time she was a teenager that she wanted to be an entrepreneur. She wanted to own her own business, and she remembers her dad's response, and it was, you can do whatever you want to do, so... You know, she went to school and she became a business owner and time went by and she actually had some medical issues and um, she's now infertile, okay? Mm-hmm. So, but she really appreciates that permission, I guess you'd say. She, she, women use the word permission uh, when they were referring to their parents who were accepting of the the idea that they want to pursue you know a passion that 's a part you know that doesn't have to um, well you can choose this, but make sure you leave that door open for motherhood kind of thing mm-hmm. so she was she's really very grateful to her parents for giving her that permission to follow her dream and to not feel like motherhood had to be a part of her life, because she loves her nieces and nephews. She has plenty of ways, as you said, that you know we do mothering or caregiving, caring for other people, plenty of ways to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, my guest, again, is Melanie Holmes. Her book is called The Female Assumption, A Mother's Story, Freeing Women from the View that Motherhood is a Mandate. And obviously you can buy this on Amazon, right? Or from um, Melanie's website.
3: Barnes and Noble.com and,
2: yeah. And yes, it's Barnes it's We have to mention Barnes and Noble. Chicago, <laughs>
3: land, independent bookstores and libraries. Okay.
2: Yeah. Okay. And you can, um, why don't you give people your website?
3: It's www com
2: And Holmes just, is H-O-L-M-E-S. Holmes <laughs> yes, right. There we go.
3: Yeah, all right. Well, no, name and I, Email attention and it'll come up.
2: Okay. Thank you so much
3: for well, um,
2: joining, uh, joining me and for sharing your views. And I hope I wasn't too hard on you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: It's staff and management. The voice of America.